0: Before we go to God's word, let's go to him in prayer. O great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts. We submit ourselves to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and to your words. You are the creator. You are the source of life. And we are the creation. Teach us. Mold us. Shape us. Fashion us in your likeness. Let the light of Christ be seen today in us, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our minds, as we receive your words, as we bow our knee to your authority, your kingship, and your lordship. We pray, dear God, that you would make your name famous. We will be satisfied in you and you alone. There is nothing that can fill up our souls except in infinite God, would you take all of the parts of our heart and our mind and our soul and would you straighten them and would you align them and tune them by your word? And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to join us now and do your incredible, miraculous work of making dead people alive, of making broken people whole, of making your twisted creation back into what it was created to be by your holy word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago, I was looking for something on the internet, and I noticed that they offered a discount if you purchased it with Bitcoin. I don't know how many of you guys know what Bitcoin is, but I had always kind of heard about it and figured that it was just for uh, drug runners and you know, people who are doing dark things on the internet, but it always had this kind of mystique to it, and I thought, well, I'll try this out. So I invested in $100 worth of bitcoin so that I could purchase whatever it was. Well, by the time it cleared my bank and all this process that had to happen, the item wasn't available anymore. So here I was, I was stuck with $100 worth of bitcoin and I just waited I figured this item would come available again and so sure enough it did and I went to go withdraw my bitcoin to to pay and I realized that my bitcoin was now worth 120 dollars and I thought well that's pretty cool and I was like it's always worked this way and so you know I just thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just hold off on buying this thing and just see what happens. And sure enough, a week later, it was 125 dollars worth of Bitcoin. And then each w- each week, it just kept increasing. And those of you who know about Bitcoin know it, it took this real steep spike. And I just hung on to my Bitcoin. In fact, I purchased a little bit more, and I thought this is kind of great, you know. And 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 it just keeps increasing and increasing and keeps getting you know, more and more, and I thought, wow, and by the, uh, the time that December rolled around of that year, it was worth a thousand dollars, and I was getting kind of antsy, I was like, you know, my luck can only last so long here, and nothing continues like this, I, I'm just going to cash out and take my earnings, and two weeks later, it crashed, it just went down and it was worth almost nothing after that, or a lot less, and I was thinking, I'm pretty amazing, that was, that was really good, I should be one of these stock guys, you know, anybody who knows anything about Bitcoin right now is going, if you had held on to that until right now, it would have probably been worth like two or three times that, but that ruins my illustration, okay, so, you know, As as that money was increasing and as I I cashed it out, I'm thinking, you know, what if I had dropped, you know, like $10,000 in there? I mean, wow, what a huge return on an investment that would have been. And nothing that I've ever done has even gotten close to that kind of returns. But what we're going to talk about today is a return on investment that makes all of this, even if you'd bought Apple stock back when it was worth nothing, and it, was, it, it puts all of that into the shadows. Like you're just, you're just playing with, with dimes and quarters in, in light of what we're going to be looking at today. And So we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught In uh, Luke chapter 19. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to read the parable in its entirety. Luke chapter 19, verse 11 until 27. As they heard these things... He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, each one mina, and said to them, engage in business until I come. But His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas more. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. "'Because you are a severe man. "'You take what you did not deposit "'and reap what you did not sow. "'And Jesus said to him, "'I will condemn you with your own words, "'you wicked servant. "'You knew that I was a severe man "'taking what I did not deposit "'and reaping what I did not sow. "'Why then did you not put your money in the bank? "'And at my coming, "'I might have collected it with interest.' And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So here in this parable, we have, we have this story of this nobleman and he gives these uh, minas, whatever they are, and entrusts them to his servants. And then they go and try to make a profit out of them. So let's, let's think about our characters and our story here first. And let's, let's figure out the point of reference. What is Jesus? Obviously, he's not just telling a story He's teaching something with this. He's making a reference to our lives. So, this is in the context. They're getting ready to go up to Jerusalem. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and they're thinking, oh, he's going to throw off the Romans. He's going to establish himself as king. We're going to get rid of these dogs that are in power here, and this is going to be the start of Christ just crushing the enemies and setting up the, the Jewish nation as a, in its former glory. And he is telling this story to show them that something else is going to happen contrary to their expectations, but that there is a task for them to do, in spite of the fact that it's not going to turn out like they planned. And, of course, they didn't quite get it at this point, but they will eventually. So here we have a nobleman. And who's the nobleman? Well, the nobleman, the the referent is pretty obvious. It's Jesus. Jesus is the the nobleman who's going to receive the kingdom that goes away for a time. And then we have the servants. And who are the servants? Well, they are those of us who have positioned ourselves under the rule of King Jesus, that would be like us today, and I'm, I'm stating that a little bit vaguely at this point for a particular reason that we'll get to at the end, but by all intents and purposes, we all appear to be under the rule and authority of Jesus Christ, and then you have this other group, the general citizenry, and what is their opinion of Jesus. They want nothing to do with him. They know what he's doing. They know what he's about. But they don't want him. They've rejected him outright. Those are the enemies. And then we have this uh, mina or mina. And what is it? Well, it's some sort of measurement of, of money. But if we, if we make a direct correlation between how much money it is right now, I think actually it makes us miss the point. The point of the mina is that it belonged to the king. It was his resources that he gave to the stewards to do something with. So what is it that is the the nobleman's? What are the resources that you and I have that belong to the king? Your possessions, those are definitely his. Your money, your natural gifts and abilities, your spiritual gifts that you receive when you become a child of God. The time that you have on this earth is a resource, a gift from God. The friendships that you have, the people that you know, that you live around, that you work with, how your sphere overlaps with with them, your education that you've received, the wisdom that you've gained from life experiences, your family, your citizenship, your ethnicity, your health and strength. What do we have that we haven't received from the Lord? John three twenty-seven, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. First Corinthians four seven, what do you have that you did not receive? Everything about you is a gift, is a stewardship from God. Every single part of who you are, where you are in life right now, the, the duration of life that you get, all of this is your mina that you have from God. And then there is the command. One command that he gives to his servants, he says what? Verse 13. He calls them together, he gives them each a mina and says, Engage in business until I come. It's real simple. Now, if I was the Lord, if I was the nobleman there, I mean I would be spelling out, you know, okay, make sure you invest in this and that, and don't invest in this. That's a really bad investment. You know, we'd be really get, you know, getting nitty-gritty about how we're gonna do this. So it really kind of amazes me that the The instruction that's given here is so general. The entirety of what they're to do is to make profit. Make kingdom profit with their resources. With the resources that they've been entrusted to, do something profitable with it. Now, obviously, there are things that we wouldn't invest in as Christians there are certain things that would that would negate profit that would detract from the glory of Christ but the point is is that it's wide open you take the resources that the king has given you and you make profit with them that means that you have a wide open opportunity to be creative And to take your particular sphere, your particular set of talents, your particular resources that you have, lots of money or little bits of money. you got lots of money, it puts you in a sphere of people who have lots of money. You have little bits of money, it puts you in spheres of people who have little bits of money. You have large educations, you get in spheres of people who are well educated. You have a... Limited education and you're in a different sphere of people who are like that. God puts you in contact with people that you would never be in contact with if, say, you had lots of money or didn't have lots of money or had lots of education or didn't. And your spheres are constantly changing too. You realize that in the last five years, there's people that you used to know that have moved away and you no longer have contact with them. But due to other circumstances, you have now moved into the sphere of other people and you are connected with them, people that you weren't connected to before. So it's things that you are constantly trying to move. The, the idea here or the key here is engage in business. Use what you have. Engage in kingdom Profit right now with all of the resources that you have. Be creative. You want to borrow what somebody else is doing? Great. Do it. Follow their example. Do it along with them. You want to get creative and come up with something that no one really else is doing? Then do it. Be creative. Engage. Be risky. The key here is engage do something. My kids, my family, we, we like Pixar. We think that they do a great job of making movies that are good both for adults along as well as kids. And one of our favorites is, uh, is Incredibles. And those of you who have watched it, you know, it's, it's, it's the perfect story of these superheroes that have just been laid low, you know, lawsuits and whatnot. And Bob, the big, massive superhero, is crammed into this tiny cubicle, whiling away his days because he's just, he just can't, he hates his life now. Even in his family, nothing. He just sits there and thinks about the glory days. And at one key point, the kids are all fighting and water spraying and the whole thing. And the wife calls out to the husband. She says, Bob! It's time to engage. And it's really, it's the tipping point in the movie. It really is. And so this is the clarion call to you right now. It's time to engage. And for some of you, you have never thought about the fact that now is when you should be engaging. Not when you're 20. Because that's when you're grown up, right? Or not when you're 40, because that's when you're, you know, settled and you've got resources. And that, or when you're 60, when you have retired and now you've got extra time. No, now is the time to engage. You've got resources now you'll never have again. You've got spheres of influence you won't have again. Now is the time to engage. And he says also, engage, what? Until I come. Don't stop. Don't stop exerting your influence, making kingdom profit, drawing people into the kingdom, encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ, doing good works. There's no such thing as retirement for the Christian. Now, if you want to retire from your your job, great. Go for it. That's fantastic. You can retire from three jobs if you want. I don't care. That's fantastic. Don't retire as a Christian. Christians don't retire. Christians, when they retire from their jobs, become even more productive. They take that additional money, that additional time, and they invest it even more. Maybe they can't travel as much as their age gets old, but then you plug into your church. You invest in the young men that are in your church or the young ladies in your church. You reach out. You reach out to the other elderly people in your church and you encourage them and you make sure that they're still following Jesus all the way till the day they die. You don't let them wither. I mean, there's it's the American dream, right? You hoard up a bunch of stuff, and then then you just kind of drift off into the sunset, counting seashells or riding your bicycle or you know whatever you do till the end. It's awful. May it not be said of children of God, like the rich fool, soul you ha- has. Much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. We keep doing this. We keep doing this. I, I, I had this conversation with Mitch the other the other night. I. I came back from Cambodia a year ago, and my uh, my heart was just tired. I just was kind of. I just wanted to be done, you know, I I don't want to live in another country, in another culture, and speak another language all the time, and I just, you know, I've done my bit, right, 15 years, that's pretty, it's more than everybody else, right, maybe, you know, I don't know, I did my part, okay, now I get to chill and relax like other people get to, It's this right here, that's that's the rich fool. You know, I did it, okay, I got it, I did my bit, now I'm done. He says, engage until I come. And this passage hit me right between the eyes. Don't, don't waste your opportunities. So, he gives this command and then he goes away and then he comes back and the remainder of this parable is each of these stewards each of these servants is giving account telling what they did so let's begin verse 15 we've got the first one here in verse uh, sorry verse 16 the first came before him saying lord your mina has made 10 minas more wow that was really great a tenfold increase and how does the lord respond to him well done good servant because you have been here's a key word here because you've been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over 10 cities wow that's incredible he made 10 out of one and amina is a pretty good sizable sum i mean there's different people talking about how much it might be. But it's, it's probably, you know, $10,000, 20000 $100,000 if you converted it now. It's not a small amount. And he made tenfold. But what about this second guy? He comes and he says, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And we're thinking, all right. That would have looked great if you were first, but you're second. So, <laughs> sorry, dude. All right. But what is the response? By the master. Yeah, okay. Well done. No. You're over five, what? Cities. Cities. Do you see the exponential return here? They they went from a few measly $10,000, $100,000 to the responsibility of the finances and the administration of an entire city. Now, some of you guys are going, I don't want to administer a city. Okay, that's fine. I don't either. That's not the point. The point is the exponential return, the generosity of the nobleman. You proved faithfulness in this small thing, now I know I can trust you with all of this and I want to. You were faithful. The key is not so much the return. The key is the faithfulness meaning they did what they were told to do. He said engage in kingdom business and they did it. Just like he said. Some of us maybe you're maybe you're thinking, you know, that's me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy with the one Mina, and I know I'm going to get to the end, and he's going to be like, seriously, two? That's how he got? And maybe you're languishing in your spiritual life right now, because that's, that's, that's your perspective, is that I just know when I get there, he's not going to be happy with it. Look at our, at our Lord. Look at this generosity. It's, it's about faithfulness. You do what you're asked to do, and He will be happy with you. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He is a gracious and generous God. The reality is that Jesus doesn't need anything that we do. He doesn't live in houses built by human hands. He doesn't need any of the stuff we do for him, but he deigns to let us do it. What pleases his heart is the faithfulness of his servants. Engage in it. Now, what this really frees us up to do is to take incredible risks. What I really want you guys to understand is that if this is our God, you can't lose. So take the biggest risks that you can. Use your resources to the biggest extreme possible. I don't know every example of where you are, but You are thinking right now of the spheres of influence that you have, the kind of people that you can interact with, and you know that some of them are risky. You don't know quite what's going to happen if you reach into that person's life. You don't know quite what's going to happen if you start inviting those people into your house and into your home. That's dangerous. It could be emotionally painful to interact with that situation. It could be really costly. It might eat up all of my reserves if I spent money on that particular endeavor. But we're not talking about getting this stuff here. We're talking about the eternal returns that we're going to get. They're going to just make everything pale in comparison. We can take massive risks. And for some of you, That massive risk is going to be you flying off to some other country to spend yourself and your family in that country. You're going to go and you're going to live with some Tajik nomads and you're going to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're going to make Jesus famous or you're going to go to some russian mining village and you're going to spend your life mina right there for the sake of jesus christ or you're going to you're going to fire your children off like arrows into some country you're going to get together with your kids and you're going to talk about where God needs to be famous. And you're going to so fill their hearts and minds with love for making Jesus famous that they're going to leave your house and they're going to take your grandkids over there. And it's going to be painful like it was for my parents. And you're going to say, I'm so glad I get to do this. And Jesus is going to look at you when you stand before him and he's going to say, well done, you good and faithful mama. Well done, you good and faithful dad. You were faithful with these three little minas I gave you. You were faithful with these five little minas and you prepared them and sent them off. You didn't do like everybody else. who hoarded their family with them. You fired them out like missiles on the kingdom of Satan for the glory of Jesus Christ. You can't lose when you invest in gospel business. As my friend says, gospel futures are up. Invest. But then there's this other servant. Verse 20, the final servant says, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So let's look at what this guy said. First of all, he says he was afraid of him. And then he says by his words that he wasn't afraid of him. Because if he was really afraid of him, he would have done what? He would have done what the nobleman said. That wouldn't have been the kind of obedience that God would have loved, but it would have at least been obedience. And he didn't even do that. In fact, what he said was, no. The nobleman said, engage, invest. He said, no. And then he excuses himself like this. He says, you're just so severe, so exacting, so unfair. I could never do something that would make you happy. You'd be angry at me no matter what I did. And so I just didn't do anything. In reality, his fear is just discontent with how he perceives the master so in effect he's saying this master here's your stuff back i didn't squander it i didn't lose it no one stole it i hope you're happy because as far as i'm concerned you're impossible to please can you imagine saying like something like that to god can you imagine the gall to accuse God of being unfair and stingy? I can. I've done it. Maybe not with these words. But I've found my own heart thinking of God as being stingy, of God of being austere. Unpleasable. It just didn't matter what I did. He was always going to be upset with me. No matter what I did, he's going to say, oh, come on, Brian. Really? This is all you got? You know, what's really in- interesting here is that when the servant accuses him of this and treats him like that, What does he find the master to be? Stern. And austere. He says to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And then... He orders that Mina to be taken away and given to something else. And so this guy has nothing. He's no longer a steward. My brothers and my sisters, may none of you be this man. May none of you stand before Jesus Christ in the last day as the one who took his resources or her resources and just hid them. You did nothing. You didn't check out. You didn't leave. You didn't abandon the faith. You kept showing up at church on Sunday. You kept doing the thing. No one else thought that you looked weird. You just didn't invest. You did nothing. You took no risks. You just protected the resources, made sure nobody stole them, made sure they were still there when the master got back. Now, I'm not really sure what this, this verse says here. It says, he says something kind of enigmatic here. He says, um, To everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, I don't know. Is he saying there that he just got reduced to nothing? And he saved such as by fire he... He's, he just scrapes in, but he's got nothing, no, no responsibilities, no anything. He's just barely sliding in at the end. That would be awful. Or is he saying that he is nothing anymore? He's not a steward. He's not my servant. Because what he's really declared here is that even though he was among the servants He had the same perspective as who? The general citizens on the outside who wanted nothing to do with this nobleman. They didn't really like him after all. And so in reality, even though they claim the name of Jesus, many people who attend churches, they don't really love God at all. They don't want him. They find him rather austere and stern and demanding. You really want me to sacrifice my life for you? I mean, come on. May this not be said of any of us here. That after the end, we really proved ourselves to be outside of Christ. Because we didn't love him at all. And then Christ Or the nobleman says to his servants. Take these enemies of mine. Who don't want me to reign over them. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the end of people who don't love Jesus. And maybe there's somebody in here. Who you don't even. You don't even claim to be. A child of God. And this is. This is the decision. Which do you want Jesus to be? If He is your Lord and Master, He is your Savior, He is generous, He is kind, He is loving to you. If He is not, He is a stern, austere judge who will send you to hell for your rebellion against Him as the Creator of the universe. And I would call out to any of you and implore any of you in this room this morning who have not bowed your knee to King Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior that today that, that would be what you do. That this passage would bring fear onto your heart and you would cry out to Jesus that you would kiss the Son Lest you perish. Obey Jesus Christ today. Believe on Him as the only Lord and Savior of life. But I trust that many of you, most of you, you're like these first two servants. And you are striving to engage in gospel business that you are investing, you're using your resources, and I hope that as you look at these two examples of people who are investing, you're encouraged by the kind of God that we have, the loving, generous God who will pour out blessing upon you when you do what he says. And this is going to be an encouragement to you not to say, oh man, I don't know that I've done anything at all, but rather to say, okay, all right, today, starting today, I'm going to take stock of my resources. I'm going to sit down with my wife, or my friends, or my pastor, or some other man that's going to look into your life and be able to help you look through your resources, or, or godly woman, and you're going to take stock of what God has given to you, and think about it from a gospel standpoint. What can I do more? What risks can I take with what I have? Partner together with somebody else. A good friend or another couple or another group in your church. Partner together to pool your resources to do something bigger than you could have done individually. You're going to invest financially in your church and the ministries that it's involved in. And you're just going to commit today that you're not going to be sitting on any of those minas in the last day. That you're going to be walking around from all those different investment places pulling them in, saying it's time to give them back to the king. Let us, my friends, engage in kingdom business for the glory of our God, for the glory of of our jesus christ let's pray together oh father you know our hearts and minds you know my heart and mind you know that all of us at some point in our life have been guilty of sitting on our resources of hiding them away I pray that your word this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would inspire us to take these and use them for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom, for the making famous of Jesus Christ, for the blessings of our brothers and sisters and their encouragement. Would you do that for your name's sake? In Jesus Christ we pray his name. Amen.